1: Let's set the Business Week agenda. We're going to start with Dave Wilson. He is our stocks editor, of course, also the author and the chart of the day. And in a minute, we're going to hear from Gina Martin-Adams, our chief equity strategist. Dave, I want to start with you. Help us understand the tone in the market today.
2: Well, it's just a broad-based advance here. You've got energy stocks at the forefront, given that oil prices are uh, holding up at least after the declines we've seen the last few weeks. I mean, you're seeing some pretty substantial gains, too, in a lot of the stocks that have been beaten up over the past few weeks. You you think about Norwegian Cruise Lines or American Airlines or MGM Resorts. I mean, there are plenty of stocks like that. And if you look at what's down in the S&P 500 now, there aren't that many stocks, only 33 at this point. What's notable, though, is that we're seeing weakness among real estate investment trusts, and that looks like a real area uh, of concern for investors, uh, specifically when you look at mortgage REITs, the ones that uh, invest in mortgage-backed securities that you know, lend money for properties. I mean, we're seeing some companies in that area, smaller ones, certainly not S&P 500 level, that are having trouble keeping up with all their demands for money. Uh, A couple of them specifically, Invesco Mortgage Capital, ticker IVR, and New York Mortgage Trust, ticker NYMT, have actually come out and said, we can't meet margin calls at this point, and their shares are taking a beating because of that, and it's resulted in some weakness across real estate at this point.
0: Yeah, and we've certainly seen that play out in the mortgage market, and that is one of the, you know, f- uh, bond markets, uh, the mortgage bond market in particular that has not seen the bounce back, or, or at least, you know, ease of concerns that we've seen in other aspects of the financial markets. Um, you know, so yeah, that makes sense that it, that we're seeing some of an impact. Gina, come on in. I was listening to you this morning, um, listening to you on Bloomberg Radio. So where are we? Can we assume that once we get through this that, you know, everything's going to kind of get back to normal for companies and that we bounce back? What are your projections here?
3: Well, I think that's a a tough question. I don't know that we get back to normal precisely because I think we are in the process of kind of trying to figure out what normal looks like um, as we address the the crisis, as we address the health concerns, as we address our infrastructure and our capabilities of dealing with this. I think we will... Continuously, kind of reassessed how businesses will function over the course of the next six, 12, maybe even longer. That's six, 12 months, or maybe even longer. What I will say in terms of the equity market that I think is very relevant right now what you do find almost every period is the equity market from the bottom before the fundamentals bottom. We bottom on average about 250 days, 235 to be precise, before we reach our earnings bottom. We average, in most cases, about a year. Before we make our economic bottom, we find a bottom in in, uh, equity prices. So when you ask the question sort of where do we go from here, the relevant equity market question is what have we already priced in Mm -hmm. and how much more do we really need to price? When we look at what we've priced in, we've already priced for a much deeper than average recession experience in the earnings outlook. So now it's a question of timing. How long does it last? How deep does it get? Does it last beyond September because that seems to be about what we've priced? Does it go to December? Does it go to next March? Those are the questions investors have to ask themselves at this point.
1: And so, Gina, what about this divergence, as it were, between the health crisis and investor, for lack of a better term, enthusiasm? I mean, is the market still paying attention to mortality rates and spread and all of those things?
3: I think so. I think the market is definitely paying attention to those. You know, if you look at where we are today, we've had a tremendous bounce back, but all we've done is gone back to Friday's levels. Uh, So we're, you know, back to where we were a couple of days ago. I I think that the market is also trying to price in what what has been an extraordinary effort on the the part of policymakers. You know, yesterday, we've just had an absolute bazooka of Fed stimulus announced in many ways, and now we're starting to price in the potential for fiscal stimulus, which that's a game changer, too. So while we're absolutely trying to plot the path of virus contagion and figure out how to slow that pace of increase, at the same time, we are getting the supports necessary to try to stabilize the equity market and certainly try to provide the economy some shelter from the inevitable fallout.
0: Right, right. And I do wonder about, you know, I've heard a lot of conversations about, you know, getting money into the hands of people. But, you know, right now they've got to have some security that they're going to be. What's really more on everybody's mind is that they're going to have a job that they certainly come back to or that companies hold them on to. And that's crucial for companies uh, keeping going. Um, Gina, thank you so much. Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence on the phone from New Jersey. Dave Wilson, also with us, our Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News on the phone from New
1: Jersey.
4: You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio.
1: We have been very fortunate to talk to a number of medical experts, usually this time of our show, to get an update on where we are when it comes to the outbreak. We talk a lot throughout the course of the show about the markets. Let's understand it from the perspective of Dr. Penny Wheeler. She is president and CEO of Alina Health. Joining us on the phone from Minnesota to give you some size and scope as we say at Bloomberg, owns and or operates 13 hospitals, more than 90 clinics throughout Minnesota and Western Wisconsin. Dr. Wheeler, thank you so much for joining us.
5: Uh, thanks for having me on.
1: So, help us understand what it, before we talk nationally, what does this look like for you in your backyard uh, right now in Minnesota and Wisconsin?
5: Yeah, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, I think what we're seeing is uh, uh, something other geographies have seen sooner than we have. Uh, We are just on the ramp phase up of seeing uh, more disease burden in our uh, communities. We're hoping it's a slower ramp because of some of the hygiene and and isolation um, protections that have been in, but uh, that's where we're at right now. Um, downsizing, you know, uh, our elective surgery capacity so we can support care needs needed in our community.
0: I am curious what you think about when we have conversations about kind of reopening up the U.S. economy. Um, how do you feel about that from a healthcare perspective, or what are you seeing because? Um, You know, certainly there are hot spots, unfortunately, on the coasts, certainly in New York City where, you know, the New York metro area where Jason and I are coming from and our team. Um, But how do you see that?
5: Yeah, well, first and foremost, we think that our ability to actually have the capacity and the resources and the protective equipment for our staff relies on the social distancing necessary to um, reduce the burden in the community over time so we can actually have the resources to care so priority number one is do we have the right capacity and resources to care and can we care well for those who are ill so we would say and promote at this time that that social distancing is actually a vehicle to help us be able to be there for our communities so we feel strongly about that at this point um we totally understand that the economic consequences even right now are significant for people, including healthcare organizations, and we have to look at the long-term consequences of that uh, as well um, and uh, do that balancing act. But right now, that is so needed for us to make sure that we have the adequate resources to care for our,
1: our communities and for our heroes as well staff caring for them. And, Dr. Wheeler, just briefly, you know, what do you think happens next in terms of the national outbreak? I'm guessing you're talking to your counterparts across the country in terms of the, the numbers, the predictions, the modeling. What's your best guess or your best information at this point?
5: I think the challenge has been that, that because of our um, the scarcity of resources around testing, either getting adequate testing vehicles or the ingredients to do testing, we haven't had widespread testing we need to do very detailed monitoring from an epidemiological standpoint, that's made it quite difficult. So that's why I think our modeling is kind of on the map right now, and we're not really sure. We're getting it from our states later today on uh, what that modeling shows, but it's been very challenging because of the paucity of testing resources available at, at the Frontier
0: yeah no, I know right exactly. and in terms of getting access to the the necessary equipment that is needed, you know what is you know it's interesting we are obviously covering the story so closely, but I'm just curious from your perspective, you know what is it that maybe we are we are not telling in the clearest way that maybe we need to be?
5: I think that first of all, I really appreciate the news media and getting out that uh, for us to be able to talk about how this. Social- really helps us as healthcare workers do our job best in service of the community, really important. I think that uh, sometimes things that get lost is like, you know, uh, we still don't know what the trajectory of this curve is in many of our communities, and until we know we're at a place where it's plateauing somewhat, uh, to actually release restrictions uh, um, done in a perilous way, even though, even though, totally understand the economics of this have to be balanced uh, the long term economics of the short term resource needs. So understand that, and I would say that you know, gosh, in some days uh, I just heard one cleaning products were down to a day of supply, protective right. equipment many are down to days of supply. The testing has been a challenge for for everybody. So those things are real. While well, there's right. more relief that is supposedly on the way, I'd say that at the frontier, those are still real constraints.
1: All right. Well, we really appreciate the time and some great perspective, Dr. Penny Wheeler, President and CEO of Alina Health, joining us on the phone from Minnesota. You're
4: listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Carol, you'll probably remember uh, last year, more than a year ago, I think John mm-hmm. Gray, the president of Blackstone, was talking with us about where they were making big bets, and one of those places was. Warehouses. And man, is that bet looking like it's going to pay off. John Gray, of course, president of Blackstone. Blackstone is one of the subjects of the story that is in the upcoming issue of Bloomberg Business Week. It's on the terminal and online today. Noah Buhire wrote it, finance reporter for Bloomberg. He joins us on the phone from Seattle, along with Joel Weber, the editor of Bloomberg Business Week. He's on the phone from Brooklyn. Noah, gotta say, great, great story. And man, these guys are right in the midst of it. Give us the size and scope here.
6: Yeah. So, um, I mean, you put your finger on it. They, they made it. They've been making a, an enormous bet on warehouses. Last year alone, they they bought more than um, twenty five billion dollars worth of industrial properties, and that that includes warehouses, logistics facilities, um, and you know, as as we, as we all know, uh, you know, some of the only way you can get stuff these days safely is is to have it delivered. And um, the um, just demand for these properties had already been uh, extremely high before uh, before the coronavirus came around. Uh, vacancies were below five percent in a lot of places. Um, you know, getting those sort of close to city infill properties that that enable last mile delivery and 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 for people to do online ordering uh, was just really hard. So the fundamentals were there and and now we're seeing in a pretty dramatic way um, uh, just the the need for these properties.
0: So so Noah, size and scope. This is what we love right here at Bloomberg. Um, Talk to us about Blackstone. And uh, I think there's another firm that you mentioned in your story. How much have they bought into or invested in?
6: A, a lot, a lot. So the other firm is a is a, a real estate REIT called Prologis. They're actually the biggest in the U.S. Between the two of them, they have about a billion square feet, which is more um, than their next 10 uh, largest competitors combined. So you're really um, it's, it's an industry that that's rapidly consolidating and, and has these two enormous uh, players. Um, and, uh, and 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 and, you know, I think the important thing to note here um, is that uh, the um, sort of the scale has been important in in, in consolidation in this industry, uh, It's the, the bigger just getting bigger.
1: So, Joel, come on in here, because this echoes back to a story, a series of stories that uh, you and I and a number of people worked on uh toward the end of last year, I think it was, I don't know, it's all blending together here, man, um, related to to private equity. Put it in uh, some context for us. Well, I think it just
4: shows um, one of the ways that private equity um, has been able to work into all these different hidden facets of our lives. And like, this is a really present bet to say, look, we know that delivery services, above all, are, are going to be a thing that only increases in demand. And that's you know, proves especially true uh, right right now during the coronavirus. Um, so, so I think it's just another example when when you have as much capital as these guys can deploy, and you sort of look through um, America's sort of uh, supply chain, um, where can they insert themselves and add value? And that's clearly what's coming to bear here. Um, Noah, my question for you is sort of you know how lucrative is this? It? It's like. You know, you think about warehouses, and these are just big, empty spaces. You probably don't even need to heat them in a lot of different places. What, how, how lucrative is this?
6: Well, I think a lot of it's going to come down to the exact property mix and the financing that was deployed um, to, to get these places. Uh, you know, one of the dynamics that, that has been at play in this, this part of the real estate world is it's just complete scarcity of properties the landlords have had a lot of pricing power over the last stretch um one of the big risks and 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 the clouds hanging over this real estate and all other real estate right now is 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 just what's demand gonna be um there is a lot of industrial where uh industrial space across the u.s that's not used by e-commerce that's you know uh helping like auto manufacturers store parts um it's uh, used by the oil and gas industry. There are a lot of sectors of the economy that are really going to get hurt and may not have as much need for this space. So one of the big question marks right now is what the demand picture is going to look like for um, for these properties. Uh, the, the one thing they do have going for them in a big way is just that e-commerce is is a big piece of the pie and it's a growing piece of the pie and it's an in-demand piece of the pie.
0: So I am curious, you know, so... In terms of you know Amazon and how they fit into this whole picture I mean are they beholden to them at all or they're a competitor when it comes to this space
6: um, well, Amazon leases a lot of space they're one they're one of Pro uh, big tenants um, so uh, it, it's uh, they're they're definitely part of the equation here but you need to we need to think more broadly than that I mean you know grocery stores you know Walmart has big hiring plans around this. I mean, these are facilities that help facilitate, um, delivery of goods to stores and to people's doorsteps.
4: So Noah, when you think about sort of all the other companies that are sort of in this space or partnering to, to service sort of the warehouse business, like how big of an economy does this start to look like?
6: Oh, I, I don't, I don't know if I have exact stats on that, but, um, but uh, you know, there's there's a lot of this um, property out there. Um, the uh, you know, to, to, to the point I was saying earlier, you know, a lot of this is going to come down to how prescient this stuff looks. It's, right. it's really going to come down to like the prices that investors paid. Uh, I mean, I think there's a case to be made that you know, Blackstone and and Prologis that have been expanding a lot recently. I mean, they they. Bought these at a time when these assets were extremely high priced, and um, certainly in the short term, uh, amid all this uncertainty, it's 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 hard to see how those valuations are going to hold up. Right. Um, and then the question becomes: Is this is this an opportunity for the big guys to get even bigger and pick up? You know, take up? You know, uh, buy more of these warehouses at, at right. lower prices. Right. Yeah, What's, right. what's the calcu- what's the calculus
4: like to buy a to buying a place? Is it like proximity to freeway and population density or what? Like what's the what's the spreadsheet look like when they're when they're dreaming about
1: these yeah. acquisitions? Only about 30 yeah, seconds all, here, Noah. Yeah, all of those things all of those
6: things matter, um but at the end of the day what they're looking at is uh what sort of um, rent increases they yeah. think they're going to get over time. That's that's the key. Um uh, for sure, and so all of this uncertainty about the economy is, is, is throws those
1: calculations
6: uh, into disarray.
1: All right, great stuff. Really, really nice uh, story. It's in the upcoming edition of Bloomberg Business Week online and on the terminal now. Noah Buhaier wrote it about private equity's big bet on logistics. He joins us from Seattle. Joel Weber, the editor of Business Week, joining us from Brooklyn.
4: You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio.
0: And a story that just crossed the Bloomberg talks about banks here in New York being blindsided. uh, And it all has to do with um, New York virus relief, uh, specifically some uh, an executive order that was signed by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Let's get the details from our own Eric Schatzker. He's joining us on the phone from Brooklyn. So, Eric, what's going on here?
6: Well,
7: Carol, I don't think anybody would accuse Andrew Cuomo of not moving quickly and trying to do as much as possible to provide relief uh, to his constituents here in New York uh, surrounding the dangers posed by the coronavirus and the economic shutdown it has caused. But sometimes when you move quickly, uh, you end up you know, running into some unintended consequences. And, and that's what happened with this executive order that Cuomo signed on Saturday. The order is intended to provide relief. To new york state homeowners and to small businesses many of which are struggling because their incomes and the revenues have vanished um, and they know that they aren't going to be able to make mortgage payments or loan payments and so the executive order um, requires directs if you will new york state supervised banks to give 90 days of forbearance to anybody who's running into trouble financial trouble because of the coronavirus but there's the unintended consequence that i refer to has to do with the scope of the order the Department of Financial um, uh, services which is the regulatory body for banks here in, in New York State also supervises a bunch of foreign banks and it also has regulatory authority for many contracts uh, that are important and elemental to the way Wall Street functions and this order appears to apply to those banks and to those contracts as well so while it gives 90 days of forbearance on mortgage payments it also gives let's say a hedge fund you know that's in the midst of a trade surrounding some commercial mortgage backed securities the right to say to say the, the right to say to a bank and maybe the counterparty in that trade sorry i'm not paying for 90 days even though the value of that trade may have collapsed and and by all rights, the bank should be able to close out that trade or demand collateral. It's it's really quite a crazy situation.
1: Well, and it is something, and you play this out nicely in your story, and you talk to some folks, you sort of play it out logically that, I mean, this is the sort of thing that could have the, I mean, a huge unintended consequence of, of really like locking up uh, at least parts of the system, right, Eric?
7: Yes, that's right. So think about it this way. There are, potentially hundreds of billions of dollars of notional value in these trades. Now the notional value doesn't mean that that we're talking about hundreds of billion dollars of potential losses, but it gives you a sense of the scale. And if these banks are forced to effectively stand off for 90 days, the value of these contracts changes can change dramatically. It can saddle them with losses that they're not able to collect on It can impair their regulatory capital. It can inhibit their ability to function uh, as counterparties in the financial system. It may allow other banks that aren't regulated by New York State, such as J.P. Morgan and Citigroup and Bank of America, which are federally chartered, it may give them an unfair advantage over these foreign banks, such as Barclays or Deutsche Bank, because of this order. It has far-reaching implications. It's probably fair to assume, Jason, that the governor and his office didn't anticipate right. that this would happen, but already the first day of business after this order was signed—and that's yesterday—some uh, hedge funds and mortgage reits and credit funds had lawyers threatening the banks with litigation if they tried to foreclose. It's incredible.
1: This—it feels like Carol. It feels like an episode of Billions. You know, <laughs> it's like totally I mean, it's an just, episode uh, of Billions. I feel like uh, Brian Koppelman and crew are like, oh, this could be a little storyline. <laughs>
7: All right. So, the, so one, Eric- the, one, the one caveat here is that the Department of Financial Services has yet to issue its rules right. to the banks, and somehow, particularly because this has now been raised as an issue, as you know, it's one of the most read stories on the Bloomberg in the past couple of hours, um, they may get a wake-up call and realize that they have to change the language uh, in, in, in those regulations.
1: All right, so Eric, only about a minute or so left. Got to ask you about a big interview you did yesterday with Tom Barrick, uh, well-known financier, friend of Mm -hmm. President Trump, real estate investor. What was your big uh, takeaway from that? Because he sort of put a proposal out there.
7: Well, Tom has one of those unique abilities to connect the dots, you know, between what's going on in the financial world and the political world. And clearly, the guy has met some criticism, but he knows his stuff. And and Tom Barrick is warning that the commercial mortgage business, which includes both the origination of loans and, and the trading of those loans on Wall Street, the financing of those loans on Wall Street is on the verge of collapse. Because again, the same things, people can't pay their debts, right. they can't pay their commercial mortgages, They can't pay their home mortgages. Right. And because there's so much leverage in the system, if that seizes up, it threatens an economic collapse that in his mind could rival that of the Great Depression.
0: Which is what we've been seeing play out in the commercial mortgage market today. That's- and what's
1: he proposing, Eric, briefly?
7: Oh, he's proposing a number of things. Quickly, he wants that bill from Congress that would, uh, you know, that would give 500 million dollars, 500 billion, excuse me, in liquidity for the financial system, some of which could be used for relief. He wants to suspend things like mark to market accounting, loan yeah. modification accounting, uh, a, a new rule coming in on credit loss recognition. What he says is if you give the market a 90-day timeout, you know, he's, he's got a great way, as you know, of simplifying the language yes. around this stuff. Just give people a timeout for 90 days. And then you can take the accrued interest, tack it out of the back of the loan, and everything's going to be okay. But without that 90-day timeout, things are going to continue snowballing as they have these past few days. With an end, very few of us can predict.
1: I'm very familiar with timeouts these days, uh, living at home and working at home with a two-year-old, as you can imagine. All right, Eric Schatzker, thank you very much. Uh, Great work, as always. Great reporting uh, both today on this Cuomo Law, as well as the great interview with Tom Barrett.
4: The drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn on Bloomberg
7: Radio.
0: It is time for the drive to the close. Back with us is John Augustine. He's chief investment officer at Huntington Private Bank. They've got roughly $18 billion in assets under management. Joining us on the phone from Columbus, Ohio. John, good to have you back with us. Hope you uh, are doing okay, your family okay uh, in this crazy time.
8: Yes, shelter in place, but everybody's doing okay. We're calling our customers.
1: We're doing virtual meetings, and, and everybody's doing okay.
8: So and what do you – oh, yeah. go ahead.
0: J- no, go ahead, Jason.
1: Well, I think we were probably going to ask the same question. What are you hearing, uh, you know, as you talk to your customers, as they call in? What's the tone? What's the tenor, if you can generalize?
8: Well, the tone is, number one, how am I positioned? We've, we've tried as best we could to be balanced and diversified. That's how we went into this. We've rebalanced once. We were actually going to look to do it again this week, but markets, of course, reversed upwards today. But the first and foremost is, how is my portfolio structured? Then the second thing, we, we have to then be proactive to make sure with our clients a couple of things, that they have enough cash for 6- to 12-month cash needs. And if they don't, we need to raise that. And then secondly, we need to confirm time horizons, because time horizons... And all the holdings around the portfolios now, we need to do a good job of making sure we're meeting the client's investment intent. So those are those are really most of the calls, Jason.
0: So what? Yeah, what's changed in terms of your approach when you look at time horizons at this point, John?
8: Well, two things. So first off, there's a time horizon around stocks and the stock market volatility. We're learning today that stock can obviously go up. A, up as violently as they can go down. The, the second thing we are actually honing in on a little bit more is income with mm. these now much lower bond yields protecting the income that clients may be looking for. And that's a little bit deeper discussion now because rates and yields are probably going to be lower longer. So there's two different sets, one for growth, one for income.
1: And so let's talk about uh, some of the growth uh, names, especially. Uh, you know, we've. I know you've got uh, some tech uh, that you look at. We were just talking tech with our Dave Wilson, and you know we have seen the the Nasdaq with a little bit of resilience over the the past few days. What's the tech play here? What are some names you like?
8: Well, our team has been coming into some of the names they couldn't get into before. So, quite frankly, the the equity teams come into Apple. They've come into Nvidia. Um, The growth team has come in. Excuse me. The growth team has come into Advanced advanced Micro. Then we've also come into Intuit, and lots of different approaches for areas that were arguably much more expensive than now are obviously much more attractive to us. So there's been a lot of – our equity team's been doing a lot of upgrading to areas they couldn't get into. Now, obviously, they're much cheaper. Like what? Well, then, as we were talking about, they're coming into the tech names, as mentioned. They're coming mm-hmm. into the Advanced Micro, NVIDIA, the Apple, the Intuit. So there's different sets that we're scaling into, not jumping into, but scaling into. Well, John, I do
0: wonder if we're going to look back at this time and say, Jason and I have had these conversations before and I think, you know, if you had the guts during the crisis and had the cash that enabled you to do it, there were certainly some names that were you know, at fire sale prices. Um, and I do think when you look at it now, too, in terms of how much some some names in particular, not just the overall market, have been beaten up, um, there has to be opportunities there. And I do wonder if we're going to look back at this time, once we get through it, um, and just from a stock market uh, basis, that this was a great buying opportunity.
8: Yeah, the the first thing, obviously... We have to get through, Carol, with obviously the number of cases. Right, exactly. And get the number of cases under control and contained. And then obviously get to treatment. But the, the second part of this is then we're going to come into some eye-popping economic numbers here over the next couple of weeks. It's going to start Thursday with the weekly unemployment claims, as you all have been talking about. And how how will the market be able to navigate those? We, we think mm. the market has a lot of bad priced into it. It was interesting that it all opened higher in Asia overnight, kept the pace up in Europe, and we did not sell off into the close, which we'd often been doing after Europe closes. So there's how much more bad news can there be now that the Olympics are postponed for a year? And the number of cases, unfortunately, in Europe and the U.S. continues to rise so we're we're starting to think of it in those terms the the bad news effect which often makes markets turn when it's least expected as you know
1: and so what worries you at this point john
8: well the case is number 1 yeah getting the cases contained that's number 1 <clears throat> we agree that you know we hope on the other side of this there's a timetable for getting back to work that may be uh, arguably a little bit more difficult in Europe. China seems to already be starting to do it. It looks like the administration at least is starting a plan here. So getting just the actual logistics of getting back to work once the virus has been contained, so that's first and foremost on our mind. Then the second thing on our mind would be what will we all come back in the economy will the consumer uh. come back in the economy in june july august as one would suspect or are we still going to hold back we think those are the three key months for this year june july august
1: and so and just at only about 45 seconds left i mean how much do you worry i feel like this is going to become a very relevant question it feels like over the next uh, few days how much do you worry about going back to work too soon
8: no, that's that. There's going to be a balancing act there, right?
1: There's going to be very much
8: a balancing act there, from from really a global perspective. There's going to be a balancing act there, and so that's what we don't know. We just our our point is we're hoping there is a plan at least yeah. or a thought. We started talking about it with some of our business customers. That you got to remember on the other side of this, getting back to work. Right. So it. it it's gonna be debated probably for years, whether it was too soon or whether it was too late. Will it be the perfect you know, low in the market that we always try to, to find and never do? Uh, yeah. it might be, but it's, it's something that's going to be very important to the economy. Yeah.
0: Well, this is certainly something that you know none of us have had to deal with on a personal and professional basis, and certainly not on an investment basis. John Augustine, thank you so much, Chief Investment Officer at Huntington Private Bank, roughly 18 billion in assets under management, uh, on the phone from Columbus, Ohio. So great to check in with him, Jason. Really appreciate that.
4: You're listening to Bloomberg Businessweek with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on
1: Bloomberg Radio.